Welcome to Don't Say NFT, the show where we don't say NFT. I'm Danny Clutterbuck, and I'll be your host. Welcome to Don't Say NFT, the show where we don't say NFT. Thanks to Bankless Down for the support and Crypto Sapiens for the production. Let's hit it. I posted something this morning um, that said there was a formula for reputation, and I proposed that reputation is equivalent to the sum of identity and observer times time meaning that reputation one requires time. It requires some moment other than just one or now. And it requires not only what you are or what you think you are, but also what someone else thinks you are. So you can't have a reputation if you're alone. And so it requires someone else to look at you and it requires someone else to look at you more than once. So in this case, we could say that Herb Alpert, having dropped that song, I think that album was from 1981, if I remember correctly. It was this, uh, the album was called Rise. The song is called Rise, just in case anybody's looking for that. And we can sort of tell that Herb Alpert did not get any reputation from having Notorious B.I.G. reuse this um, because no one knew that Herb Alpert did it after the set of people who heard him do it stopped listening or stopped listening to hip hop or whatever. So like the observer did not transfer from Herb Alpert to Notorious B.I.G. Thereby the reputation does not apply to Herb Alpert. It doesn't mean he didn't do it or inspire it somehow. It just means the reputation didn't find its way to him from the actions that happened afterwards. And I think that's a fun starting point for today. Um, but as usual, we're going to kick the can down the road. And if someone has something to say, raise your hand. And if you don't, I'll call on you because you're up here. And like, what are you doing up here otherwise, right? But I don't, you know, if you're like urgently in need of saying something, I would like to address that first, of course. So the point here is two, what is this, two episodes after the identity episode, right? Something like that. We talked a lot about what PFPs do for us and how we change them. Some people change them definitionally, like every day they have a new PFP or sometimes people sell their PFP space as like a billboard sort of, you know, as a secondary source of income. Or sometimes a PFP is what someone's excited about at that moment. And it could be months or weeks in between, or it could be years, in fact. And I think once we get to the months and years side, we get to this complex version of reputation. And um, I, by this, I mean, if you have the same PFP, okay, if, if you have a PFP from a project, let's say Witters. Witters has an OMB PFP. Um, OMB has a reputation. And that reputation is driven by not only its founder base, but also its holder base. So it's driven by everybody who talks about it or participates in it in almost any way um, because of that observer portion of reputation. So the reputation is driven by many, many factors, and that reputation takes time to build and time to change, but also Witters holding that PFP over those many changes can develop its own separate version of reputation. And I was talking with Min about this two episodes ago where he's had an Azuki PFP, and for those of you listening that don't know what that is, it's a profile picture. I know there's going to be like two of you in the crowd, so I just got to say it. I'm going to get the question later. He had an Azuki PFP for years. Meaning he had it at the top, he had it at another bottom, and then he had it at a top and a bottom, and he's had it throughout that. And he, I, would, I don't want to say he was using it, because I'm certainly not going to speak for him, but I think people who buy PFPs align with the thing. When they align with the thing through the many changes of that thing, that shows a very different set of qualities about that person. Witters, yeah, what's up? Good morning. Oh, Red, good morning, Donnie, um, and everybody. Hi. Uh, Oh, man, this is something that I grapple with so much because as an artist, like you want to like rep your own stuff, but you also you just kind of like want to flex. And a lot of it is like the reputation 
of OMB where it is pricey. And but even if it wasn't, I still think that the people that have changed their PFP to OMB, they would keep that. Whereas in other projects, it's like, ooh, uh, let's find something else that I can flex with or or something. And and two, I feel like OMB is a flex of like intellectuality because everyone that is in there is they're on a different level in whatever field that they're doing. And it's not, mm, I don't, it's really hard to put into words, which is why it's my PFP. (laughs) And I, I can explain my art like super easy, but for OMB, it's, it's always kind of like a a conversation starter, (laughs) but uh, yeah. So I, I grapple with this on the daily because I, I do want to rep my own art and but I also I like the flex of an OMB. If you wear your own art as a PFP, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it doesn't lend your identity to being strengthened by potentially a larger group. And I think that's why a lot of us wear PFPs that are not just, you know, our own face or our art or whatever. Because you can always say who you are. In fact, your name is still Witters underneath that PFP. So we know you're not OMB. We know that you like OMB and you align with it, but we know that you're not, we're not going to confuse you for it. And what you said just reminded me of something we were talking about the other day. You and I specifically, I think it was in the OMB voice chat. We were talking about whether we watch these market cycles over the course of four years and we watch things go up and then we watch them go back down and then they level out and accumulate and they dip and then they crawl back up again, right? And we see it happen every time. And the conversation we were having was about whether or not there are catalysts that make those motions happen, or if those motions are happening already and the catalysts behind them force them. If rather, if the pressure building because of the motion makes the catalyst happen, like the FTX crash. Did the FTX crash help the market do what we wanted or sort of knew it was gonna do already? Or did what the market was doing already make the FTX crash inevitable? Um, and that, for some reason, that reminded me of what you were saying. Oh, yeah, like we were talking about how um, OMB PFPs are expensive and it's a flex or they're like difficult to get. There's not a lot of them, something like that. Does money breed that value or did value breed that money? Would you have had it anyway? Probably because you still align with it. And it's not about being other, although it's nice to to have people like things that we want. We were talking about this, man, it's like each one of these episodes lines up perfectly into the next one. I don't know if I did that on purpose or not. We were talking on the last episode, the community one, that nobody wants to walk into the empty bar. You know, like you walk by a bar that's empty and you're like, I don't want to go there. Well, there's plenty of seats for you there. Logically, it makes sense for you to go there. But you're going to walk until you find a bar you can't get into. And that's the bar you want to go to because you just inherently want to be where other people are, whether it's high value or not. You just want to be there. Um, Alpha saying, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, Dottie? Uh, Thanks for holding another space. Uh, Always mad love. Uh, but yeah, in regards to like representation of PFP, um, for me, like the OMB one is very I- iconic because uh, of where the moment was. And it, it literally sh- kind of just shows you that you were kind of early in the ordinal protocol, uh, which is going to be like very historic if we all believe it, right? 21 quadrillion Satoshis. And we were like right there in the initial <laughs> protocol. And and I think just that value and then the attentiveness that you needed to have in the early stage of following what you needed to do to get 
in OMB, especially the red eyes, they mean a lot to me. Um, I don't know. I, I think the sentimental value, I've actually, like, I tend not to play sentimental values with PFPs because that tends to make me a bad trader. <laughs> when you fall in love with a PFP, it's like, it gives you, it's like one thing you fall in love with a PFP because you love art. And then the other one is so hard to trade uh, when you need financial gains. And, and like, that's a big struggle. But I, I think I've actually never gotten to the point that I, I've actually think that there is no financial gain for this PFP. It's just literally digital artifact being there in the initial OCT trading, following all the GitHub updates, um, coming into spaces with like 15, 20 people listening to Lord knows, and a lot of people kind of fading and people still fading and kind of the movement kind of being pushed. So I, I believe that holding an OMB or like a PFP or like a PFP that means something should have some significant value to some type of movement that they're pursuing. And I, and I think I've never in like, I don't want to say the word, but I've never in, in digital collectibles, let's say, in my career, I've never seen something that actually is like pivoting a movement and is actually changing the meta, right? Like we, I haven't seen anything that changes the meta in a long time. Um, and that's what it was. And I think a lot of these red eye PFPs significant, uh, like makes makes that significant change of a lot of people shifting into ordinals and, and having that belief. And I think, yeah, I think ZK did a great job. I think when we talk about um, the way that something morphs in our brains over time, which is, I mean, what we can call reputation, right? Things, you know, when you meet a guy at a party and he's a jerk and then like two weeks later, you're best friends. You saw a moment in that person's life. And sometimes the people who think the loudest and have the wildest, most progressive thoughts have moments where they're a little bit off-putting when you don't have the context around them. And I think most things that are valuable, like we always used to joke, there was this guy who was kind of a psycho that I worked with in the restaurant industry like five or 10 years ago. And uh, he was like brilliant and funny and super kind and loving right up until he wasn't. And he was a total maniac and awful to be around and would like crash parties on a ton of drugs and like threaten to kill people and like just crazy stuff. And I used to joke that the things we loved about him come with inextricably the things we don't love about him because he is a high amplitude figure. Now, you can meet somebody in their low amplitude moments and their negative 10 and think of that one thing as their identity. But identity is a thing that is constantly in motion and requires a viewer to to really like form a holistic viewpoint of. So the, the analogies that I really wanted to run through while we're talking about reputation is if we're going to talk about it in the digital age, we have to talk about it in the analog age first in order for it to have any context because that's where we come from. That's where our like our genes were created. We were forged in the fires of living in the woods. <clears throat> so if, let's say, I go to a restaurant every day for one year and anybody who read the paragraph article that I wrote, I'm sorry, you're going to rehear this, but I can almost guarantee none of you did because like reading is, it's tough to read when you could just do anything else and it takes so much less time and so much less effort. I don't write these because I need people to read them. I write them to get my thoughts organized and on paper and then I read them to my wife, which I believe is down there at the bottom here. Yeah, B would say, wave, everybody. there she is, there's B. Um, I read them to my wife out loud so that I can hear what an idiot I sound like or how great I sound and adjust my perspective accordingly. All right, so the first thing I wrote about 
the first thing I thought about when it came to reputation, and for a little bit of backstory, I used to work for a decentralized identity blockchain or a blockchain that was built around specifically tooling for decentralized identity uh, facilitation. So I think that if you go to a restaurant every day for one year um, and you forget your wallet on the 365th day, the restaurant staff is likely to either comp your tab or be totally fine with you coming back the next day to pay it back because you've earned their favor. You've shown up every day and they know you're going to come back. And if you don't, I mean, whatever, you pay, you didn't pay one out of 365 times. And that's maybe a risk that they're willing to take. What's, what's the old saying? If you lend somebody 20 bucks and never see him again, it was probably worth it, right? Best 20 bucks you can spend is never seeing a jerk again in your life. Um, so if we built a reputation at one restaurant, that, that the restaurant or the staff is the observer, and it's a complex observer because there are many observers within it, uh, but that sort of adds strength to it, right? That means that your reputation now applies with more than one person. It's with an entity, like a, small, a subgroup, let's say. Well, that restaurant burns down that night, unfortunately, and now you have to go to the restaurant next door, and you walk in the door, and no one has any idea who you are, and that's kind of a problem. So we have the restaurant that we earned the thing at, and then the restaurant burned down, and then we go to a different restaurant. We have to do the same thing all over again. And this is an example of you having to shed your reputation due to outside forces. So you've earned, you are that person, but now no one knows you are that person. And that's kind of a bummer. In another situation, um, you smoke weed in an alleyway. And for some reason, in some state, in some time frame, that's illegal. And you go to jail. Um, I don't know why that was ever illegal, by the way. It seems like a pretty stupid thing to be illegal. But, you know, this isn't about my political viewpoints. You go to jail because you smoked weed and that's bad. And your local sheriff's department didn't find it funny and they locked you up for six months. And now that's on your permanent record. You went to prison or jail or whatever that thing's called. Now you get out and you've gone to prison. Even though you're no longer in prison and you paid your dues, you that's on your record. And it's on your record for some undetermined amount of time or definitely determined amount of time. And you can't shed it. So in one case, we have, you've earned a positive reputation that you had to get rid of due to almost no reason. And in the other case, you had a bad reputation you could not get rid of. Again, for kind of potentially no reason, right? Like there's no, it's not like you are always doing that thing that in one case you did, you did one something wrong one time and you got punished for it and now you're that thing forever. So I think in analog identity or analog reputation, we have problems because we can go from place to place and develop separate reputations, but none of those transfer to another unless they're bad. Then they definitely do. The question I've been asking for a long time is, can we do something about that in the blockchain space? Can it be such that you can develop many interconnected reputations and use them when it's most beneficial to you? Sort of like a, like a credit score. That's been the big question. And my initial reaction to that was always, but what if you do, let's say you, I don't know, you launch a scam project, you collect $10 million, and then you just go do it again and again and again. What's to safeguard that? Well, my argument to that would be it's just like a credit score in that you have a zero. If you have no reputation, no one has a reason to trust you. You then have to build a positive reputation. And the more positive the reputation, the more likely it is that people will trust you. Who is going to take all that time to build a positive reputation just to go screw it up again, right? So with that fundamental layer laid down, does anyone have any, I guess we can just go to Witters, but I, the question was going to be, 
does anyone have any strong opinions about how this impacts their ability to traverse this space as a person who gets to make up their own identity that isn't necessarily related to their physical person and then use that throughout many different spaces? And do you have alt accounts? And do you like, what, what do you do to ensure that basically this ideal scenario we just talked about um, applies to you? Witters. I want to add another analog uh, example. Like if you go pee, or you urinate uh, in public. Okay. (laughs) If you do that in public and someone like heaven forbid some uh, like someone that is underage sees that, then you could be tried for like, you know, like exposing yourself and you could get on the, like the registry. So that, that, that was what I wanted to interject with. I live in the middle of nowhere and I have in the past, um, like the, the bathroom's just too far and there's just like a nice little tree over here in a wooded area. But I got one of the park rangers <laughs> and I'm not on a registry. This is sounding absolutely horrendous. I'm not, uh, it's like not, it's nothing like that. But a park ranger did tell me one time at a bar, we, this is not, he didn't walk up on me because I was urinating in the woods. Um, he said that that happens frequently <laughs> in state parks and just to be like, like hyper vigilant and careful of like where, where you're uh, relieving yourself. So <laughs> that was a crazy tangent. But what I wanted to like make the connection with is like, I I am going through that right now, um, and I've had um, not being on a registry, but like just reputation and like my identity online because I I've probably chatted with every single one of y'all that are in here right now, and you get a different version depending on what space it is, what you know, like circumstance it is. And I don't want that to be what it, I don't want to per, partition my my personality in that way. And I'm trying my damnedest to like be who I actually am um, and just to be like more authentic because like, I mean, with AI and everything, you, as soon as you know, you have the ability to prove that you are a human, that's going to be your your biggest factor, especially for artists. And so I'm trying to work on that so hard, but it's also like a nervous reaction. I don't know. There's just so many things. Um, I have a couple of things to add to that, but Alpha Sand, go for it. Yeah, dude, I think a lot of people, um, when they get a PFP, and I think they Im- really embed themselves into the character of the PFP. Um uh, and persuade and it changes from space to ba- uh, space of space because the environment changes and what stays constant is that PFP but that PFP in that environment could actually also kind of change in 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 the motion of the space and could act reactive differently when someone looks at the PFP on how someone talks so I think people carry that and I think that's why. Just having a constant PFP, like a human PFP, cannot show that, like, uh, like let's say, weird change in environment in, in this kind of 
scenario in spaces. Um, so I think, yeah, so I, if you're really into NFTs and culture, I, I think a lot of people see that when people speak through through uh, a phone and then look at their PFP and how they react. And I think it's kind of unique. I couldn't agree more. And I would like to detail again that although I have a human PFP, I don't get to lean into the strengths of having another project's PFP. And not only do people see that PFP attached to, um, I don't know, let's say I had no MB PFP. The way that people see it in a space wouldn't just be always that it's an OMB. It's like two months from now, it might mean something totally different. And three years from now, it might mean something totally different as well. And it may go in a direction that I don't want to go or a direction I wish I could have gone, but couldn't have gone alone. And then if I jump on later, I'm who am I? You know, like I'm the guy who did it later. Reputation is really complex and it requires a certain amount of observer and time over the course of however many different variables we have. Um, for Witter's example, if you are a person peeing in the woods, then there is an observer. And in this case, it's a park ranger. And that park ranger is looking for people doing that wrong because it's his job to record when that happens and to punish accordingly or whatever, sort it out, I guess. But the good thing about this is that if you apply for a job at the restaurant that I work at, um, I'm not going to check the national PP registry to see if you peed on a tree because I don't care. So while that reputation stands and it's somewhere on a record somewhere, only the people who that is relevant to the future of will even bother checking it. And frankly, do you want to work for a person or with a person who cares whether or not you peed on a tree at some point in a national park? Just like literally everything else in that park is doing, everything in the park is peeing on a tree. Why can't you? You know, like I don't I don't see that as viable. I mean, Donnie, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We're animals. We're hominids. Literally, we are one of the four great apes, yet we treat ourselves as though we're separate. We're other. And in fact, I think we take a lot of the joy out of life by doing so. And the last thing I wanted to say before I go to Barbara is that we all have, this is a response to Alpha and we all have different hats that we wear. No, actually, this is to both of you, winners too. Um, this is, we have hats that we wear everywhere we go. I think it is a privilege to not have to change that hat. Um, being a six foot tall white guy, although I'm bald and I can't grow hair, I have that strike against me. I can kind of just like dress the same in every situation and it doesn't matter. And I understand that that's a privilege because nobody's ever made me feel like I have to be something other than what I am, which is a bummer for anyone who doesn't feel like Take it away, Barbara, Barbara. hit it. <laughs> so it's interesting that we're having this conversation after we've had the conversation around identity and PFPs. And it's sort of makes me realize that digital identity sort of gives us an opportunity to be able to change our reputation or to be able to change how people see us. It, it gives us more opportunity to do that than physically, because if I have a reputation physically, it's harder for that reputation to be wiped off. I read um, Donnie's thoughts, Donnie's thoughts, I, I read it, and um, th there was an instance he gave there and sort of like when someone goes to jail and the person is out, that thing, it just stays. Like, no matter how long the person or how much the person is trying to make sure that they are a different person, or they might actually be a different person, but the people who know that this person has been to jail sort of have that reputation. Like, they just they just have that in their head, and they would continue to see that person in that way. And they'll have their biases pop up whenever the person um, is about to get a job, 
or when there are opportunities for the person, the bias is definitely going to show, right? So um, digital identities give us opportunities to be able to change how people view us. Take, for instance, in this space where nobody knows exactly what anyone looks like, like we're all anonymous. I mean, I'm rocking this PFP now, which means that I can take an, another identity entirely. In fact, I actually have two other people have, I, I'm not supposed to say this in case Elon wants to bag my account. So, <laughs> so people do have like multiple um, accounts and for each account, they have different, I, they, they act differently, right? I remember when I had another account where I could entirely be myself. I have a main Twitter account where, which is my main my main Twitter account, but I can't even be myself there anymore because there's uh, lots of lots of expectations for me based on who, um, what I do, right? Um, people expect me to act a certain way. People expect me to respond a certain way, and I can't entirely be myself. But with this account here in the in in the ordinal space in in the web series space, I'm able to be myself, right? I'm able to express myself. I'm not scared of what anyone is going to say, but I try as much as I can to be respectful. So there are certain things that stay consistent when we talk of reputation. If you're a respectful person, if you're a kind person, it is going to constantly reflect no matter the number of people you meet, no matter the amount of people you meet. I know we've talked about how different people when we do certain things, people make their judgment based on how you've treated them or based on how you've reacted to certain things without entirely knowing your story, right? And the experience they have of you is what they're going to share with other people. That's the story of you they're going to carry on. And you don't have any other opportunity to, to rewrite that part of your story. But that's just a part of your story. It's not your entire story. So th there are certain things that are going to continue to um, stay with us as 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 we grow as humans, as we evolve as humans. And that, those are like the basic um, habits that we formed, being respectful, being kind, whatever reputation. It might be a bad reputation. For instance, when someone is a hitman, people want to know if he's really good, if, if he's a really good hitman. So he, he's got a reputation for that. So that's a good reputation for the people who want to offer him a job. Do you understand? So I think reputation is different for, for different people. Good reputation, bad reputation. If you've got a bad reputation, there are people who are looking for you who want to give you a job. If you've got a good reputation, there are bad people who do not even want you around them because you've got a good, rep a good reputation. And I would like to hear what everyone has got to say, but I do believe that digital identities give us a lot of opportunity to be able to rewrite our stories. Um, every time we change our PFPs, every time we, we join a community, we're able to take on different identities, but still maintaining who we really are. But it just keeps changing. It's just like if I, if I, if I buy ZK Sharks OMB and, and I decide to use it as my PFP, when someone sees it first, the, the first thing that comes to their head is the, 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 they are thinking is ZK Shark, right? Also, they're expecting me to, to behave a certain way. Like, they're expecting me to behave a certain way. And Barbara, who's rocking that PFP, decides to start to act a certain way because that PFP is associated with um, a certain behavior. So um, it's just a lot of what's... It's an interesting conversation, and I'm, I'm glad that Don is... Barbara, you brought, up, you brought up some <laughs> great stuff there. One... Um, I wanted to piggyback off something I said earlier that I think you brought up. What's the point of jail? If jail is the punishment for doing the wrong thing, why is jail now on your record? 
because you just served it. You served the thing. You did the thing you were supposed to do to eliminate the thing, but now you have both on your record. Not only did you do something wrong, but also you went to jail, and that's bad. Isn't jail the good part? Isn't jail the thing you're, like, in our society, isn't that your retribution? Shouldn't it just strike the record, right? So it's weird that we can't get rid of that. And again, I really don't know the intricacies of the prison industrial complex, so, you know, pardon me if I'm saying anything that's not, that's not correct. Also, you brought up that observers have different standards and that one action in one room is negative and that very same action in a different room is positive. I think that's an important thing to move with. Another was that, um, is <laughs> this goes back to what Witters and I were talking about yesterday, does the reputation of the PFP, sorry, do you make your reputation or does eventually your reputation start to make you? Do you give people these expectations of what it is you are and do, and then they further that by asking you to do more of it or pressuring you into doing that somehow? And can that be quite the same thing with a PFP? Let's say, Barbara, you referenced buying an OMB. If you buy an OMB and people get to know you as a part of OMB, does that then change what OMB is perceived as? And then thereby how everyone else is perceived when they wear theirs that they were wearing before you put yours on. It's a really interesting series of, uh, I don't know, conflation, I guess, that continues to happen where the chicken lays an egg and then out of that egg comes a chicken. And you're like, well, which one of these things came first? Which is the one that really is the genesis of it? What's up, B? Hi, um, I'm on a trail, so it might the sound quality might be due. I apologize if that's the case. No, you're great. Um, I don't have a ton to say, but all, listening to all of this has sparked a lot of thought, primarily just thinking about reputation. I, I've not done that historically. And Donnie, you and I have had countless conversations about building a reputation. Once you build a reputation, how difficult it is to change that. And I think I've experienced that through job moves and <laughs> benders in the restaurant industry and trying to Amen. backtrack and come out of those. Yeah. Seriously. So with all of that, and you know, I just moved to South Carolina and I kind of get to start fresh and begin honing in on a reputation that I actually want to own. So that that was really my only thought there. But I did also <laughs> listening about the PFPs, it brought me back to the other night when we were on Discord. And you pointed out my monkey. What's that project called, Donnie? Oh, God. It was some rug from Solana two years ago. It was like one of those things yeah. that's like you buy a guy, man, you then you buy a girl and it makes babies. Before that was a funny meta that yeah. didn't work on anything. I, I think I bought the first one. Uh, so that one. One of them looked like her, though. So she had it as a PFP as a joke. Yes. So I had this, you know, monkey that I really related with. And it was my, you know, PFP on discord and when donnie was like i think it's time to change that that project was rugged and it really isn't it doesn't mean anything i felt attached to that pfp and the reputation that but not the reputation that was with it really so that's all i have i don't have anything particularly you felt it exemplified thrilling. something that you thought or it was a, a representation of you that was not you it was like a, it was like neon colors and it wasn't human so it's easier to it had a little nose ring relinquish some of those human demands that people have of you when they see you right like they see yeah. you and they go this is a person i can ask this person for consultation and i can expect that they'll speak to me appropriately during business hours and blah 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 but if you're a monkey that is like a visage of you you're really not subject to all that so maybe that was like one of your first ways of shedding the high pressure reputation that you'd created for yourself in the bar and restaurant industry that was like self-perpetuating in so many ways where like if you 
you know, you feel like shit one day going into work. So you wear a little bit of extra makeup and then the next day you feel great. So you wear less and everyone's like, oh my God, are you okay? You don't look quite right. Are you Yeah, sick? right. What's wrong? So like you got to have fun <laughs> yeah. or you got to like use a mechanism to cover something up or you got to explore some creativity and expression. But then everybody kind of like expects that from you. And it's not on you that that's the case. It's on them. But it's really difficult to say no and move without taking that into account. Uh, Witters, what's up? Okay. So in real life, I um, I am very buttoned up, very um, – uh, I have a reputation for honestly kind of being a prude. Um, and I think that that is like what has made me, made me gravitate towards Twitter and PFPs because I, I'm, y'all have had enough conversations to know I'm not, but just my surroundings in, in real life, um, if I'm not that buttoned up, like perfect picture then i live in a small town people just start making up stuff i lose 10 pounds i'm on drugs you know like just like little things like that so i have to like present myself in in one way but that that in that identity is only like one like a, a very small fraction and since like PFPs and your online identity um, and and meeting people that that don't look like you, that don't sound like you, that are from you know different parts of the world that that had a different um, upbringing or you know that's fascinating to me because everybody's about the same up here. You know what I'm saying? And um, I I really really love that about this entire culture. Um, and I, just humans fascinate me in general, but being able to like women in this space are a minority. Um, and there's a, a whole plethora of different minorities, um, within the space, but it is nice. Like if I'm reaching out to someone that, um, I would like to collaborate with or, um, um, have a conversation, um, I'm not immediately identified as a woman and it opens more doors than, um, than you think. And then they get to know, like, it's more of like a textual, uh, conversation or like, it's a conversation that, that I could have had regardless of my gender, but it was easier because they didn't know immediately. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. This is a super complicated dynamic. And I tried to write a um, that that formula that I thought earlier this morning anyway, I thought represented what reputation was both digitally and IRL. And I kind of want to pick it apart because I had an, a response to what you said that made me pull a piece of that equation out. So I was thinking, how does Witters change the expectations that people have on her? And this was something you said like a few minutes ago. So I'm not trying to brush over everything else. You would have to either change the way that you identify over the course of time, and eventually all those same observers would begin to realign. It's sort of like a relative strength index on a, on a, a chart, like a, like a financial chart analysis thing. The, the RSI doesn't move with the value or the, the sale price. The RSI moves very slowly to accommodate to a trend 
or is that a moving average that I'm thinking of? I think I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm thinking of the moving average, my bad. Um, anyway, you would just have to overcorrect into being what you think you are or want to be perceived as. And eventually, the reputation that this observer recognizes will align to that over the course of time. Or you swap out for a totally new set of observers and just move somewhere else and then start being whoever the hell you wanted to be to begin with. And then the pressure is all gone. Um, I don't know if we have that same luxury in the digital space. Well, no, we do, I think. We we exactly do have that luxury. Because like if if people started thinking something ill of you, Witters, in your current form, you could just delete your Twitter account, sign up with a new dummy Gmail account, change your name to Witters or something else, you know, and then just still have the same OMB and like, or a diff, shit, a different OMB. And then start being who you want to be. And eventually, two years later, you're at the same place, but now with different expectations, you know? So I think this is translating relatively well over to the digital age. It just still feels imperfect. I still don't have a solution. I don't know if we're going to get to that by the end of this uh, podcast, because this feels like a much larger, slower-moving societal issue that the good can be stripped away so quickly and the bad can't. Um, in so many situations, that's kind of a bummer. And I know we perpetuate these in a lot of ways. Like I've stopped going to family holidays. I don't like holidays. I don't understand them. It's a longer story than this podcast can accommodate. Um, it's not trauma-based. It's just that I can't remember anything. And holidays are are kind of like precluded on that. You can remember them. Otherwise, they're kind of absurd. So for many years, I thought to myself, well, I have to go to holidays. I hate these. They seem comical and, uh, you know, not in a funny way, like comical, like in a tragic tragic way. Um, but I still go because I have to. And then sometime in my mid twenties or thirties, I was like, wait, who's telling me I have to, the people who celebrate that holiday that I don't respect or care about. Why am I even doing this? What's the point? So like, it takes, it takes a lot of movement of, of the inertia that is just going with our normal lives to straighten out into what we actually want to be. Uh, it's, it's like flossing every day. It's not difficult. You just have to floss every day, which is the most difficult part. <laughs> Alpha saying, what's up? Yeah, I think reputation versus legacy, I think, and uh, in our space is very key. Because I think a lot of us, like, I think about legacy and reputation. I think about, like, short-term and long-term traders. So, like, if you're trying to just build a reputation, you're here for the short-term, just, like, how everyone's here out to look. Like today, like you guys might just get a point of view on how I speak today. So you guys get an idea of my reputation and go and do my profile, etc. But if you keep following me uh, for the next like, like my legacy, then you can make a good judgment on my my personalities and the values that I bring to the space. So I think it's a fight versus legacy and reputation especially when it comes with digital identity. And yeah, I think that's a like a big question when people come to spaces. Like, I don't know if they know their answer of why, what, what kind of brand they're trying to build. Uh, but I see it as short-term and long-term traders. Um, uh, if someone just, just comes here and shows their reputation of X, Y, and Z, and then someone that's here for X, Y, and Z years, uh, show the legacy and progress through the space. And I think that's a big de debate and it's kind of tough to define. So we could say that reputation is a shorter bundle of perception of identity and legacy might be the reputation of the reputation, a long-term observation of something much more, um, of something that's a little bit shorter. 
so it's it's like a builder like uh how many blocks have they laid uh and that legacy is defined by each block legacy is holding bitcoin is, uh, from 2010 to 2023 <laughs> and reputation is buying a bunch here and there and then selling it and then buying a bunch here and there and selling it you know you're still on board for the ride but there are times that you fell off right so like maybe maybe we're talking about like a depth of um or a consistency in reputation no, right not not like that because that, that legacy of just like that intermediate trader could build the great uh legacy of becoming one of the most iconic traders of all time um so it, it, i think it's very tough to like to define reputation at like at the moment's point without having good data sets yeah. I think. legacy is is long-term reputation maybe and the funny <laughs> i've been saying this for years in a variety of different situations um, and I don't know if it really applies or is true, but if you have a glass of water, you have a glass of water. And if you put one piece of dirt in that glass of water, it's now a dirty glass of water. And I think our reputations often um, fall into this, like easily swayed to the negative and difficult and laborious to sway to the positive. But maybe that's the part. Maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is when someone's so unflappably, uh, positively uh, progressive or whatever, whatever we want them to be. And there are no demons, really. That is the person who deserves a good reputation. Who am I to say? But again, I'm not going to check the PP registry. It doesn't matter to me if you peed on a tree in 1997. You know, Barbara, what's up? Yeah, you know how we've talked about reputation in in the space where we we are operating, and it feels like people don't usually care about reputation as long as it's something that would benefit them. Because if you if you take a look at some of the people who have launched um, several meme coins and people have seen that these people have a reputation of launching these meme coins and, you know, like rugging or like disappearing with, with people's funds. But then they relaunch another one and you'll find like people who still buy it because they know the last one actually pumped a bit and they made some bags. So it sort of makes me wonder if if people really really um care about um your how good your reputation is in the space there there are a couple of other guys who have you know done some things rocks their communities and have come back the the the, the space that we operating has we it feels like we have like very short term memory we we forget things really quickly so after 3 months the person comes back they launch another project, people get on board, and they can afford to do that over and over again. So I do not know if it is very rewarding to build like very good reputation. Uh, this is just me, <laughs> um, like just throwing it out there. Is it very rewarding to build a good a good reputation here when people have like sh people forget really fast? And they would forgive you easily as long as you're going to make them money the next instant. Are we supposed to be who we really are in in reality? In reality, I care about my reputation. Honestly, like it's one of the things that have made me turn down job opportunities from the government and stuff like that because I care about my reputation. I don't want to be the person who they've paid a lot of money and then I can't say the things I'm supposed to say or uh, like call you out or hold you accountable. So it, it makes me wonder, do I maintain that reputation? Like, do I continue to, do I carry on that identity, which is my real identity to, to this space? Or do I just behave like 
other people who are just like making like just do things and make some money you know like you just you need to make some bag or do i maintain that good reputation and 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 be poor like this like the people trading on solana i <laughs> oh dig man burn well there's not a lot of solana people in here well maybe a lot of excellent people i guess i'm one of them um i am a solana poor and i'm okay with that All right you know those are my my roots i guess um I think what you're referring to with these people who launch meme coins and then rug them for a bunch of money and then launch again and get a whole bunch of traction with it, they're casinos. When we go to a casino, we know the casino is not in it for any altruistic effort. They're taking home money at the end of the day. A majority of people lose to the casino, but the few who emerge victorious are those that people want to be. So they continue to go back knowing full well that the, the coin is going to rug, whatever that means. Um, because like, what did the coin have a purpose to begin with? I mean, arguably everybody who bought into it just didn't do their research, I guess. So is there a rug? I don't even know. But again, I think this all requires the observer. This all requires that there is an observational party looking at the identity of this thing over time and then forming judgments based on its own standards, whatever that observer thinks is correct. And in terms of whether or not you ought to continue being you or be something that someone else thinks would be more beneficial for you to be, the beauty of this is that's totally up to you. The agency is completely on you. You can decide whether to be um, evil Barbara or nice Barbara. And evil Barbara and nice Barbara even have different definitions based on who you ask. Because that person asking you to just go take the money and make your bag thinks that's nice Barbara. And then evil Barbara is the stupid one who doesn't make any money. Uh, maybe that's not the way that I would see things, but that doesn't matter. And I think the only way this is, in fact, Humpty, one of our recently joined speakers, and I have had a lot of conversations about how a, a moral objectivity is difficult to find in the world or maybe non-existent. And the closest we might come to finding one would be to aggregate everyone's thoughts all together at once. And that output is now the closest we'll get to moral objectivity. Turk, what's up, man? How you doing, Troy? <clears throat> what's up man um sorry i'm just drinking some tea um yeah i didn't give you any warning sorry dude i do that at the restaurant too as soon as someone takes a bite of a sandwich a big one i'm like how is it no no i thought <laughs> I, I thought i thought i could fit it in there uh, and by the way um uh when you played that song in the beginning and i'll get to the i'll get to what i was gonna say but um have you ever heard i got the by um Labby Labby yeah that's one of my favorite songs ever yeah, because it's, it's, it's two like, songs and they're both iconic Smashed yeah it's from one this, it's from the '70s, and you'll you'll hear Slim Shady's uh, "My Name Is" or whatever. Uh, I'll from play that. that on the way out because even the first half of that song was sampled for like some rock song that came after it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so yeah. There's no. two samples, two iconic samples in that one song. I'll play that yeah. as the outro today. All right. See, I feel like we're collaborating already. So to me, I think life, all of life, is the collab. You can't do it alone. So I just wanted to address a couple of things. You know, I think. When you're talking about identity, I think a couple of fixes would, you know, I'm a screenwriter for 30 years and I'm just like been, you know, published when I was 18, 19 poetry and sonnet form. I just explored a lot of writing and a lot, a lot of words, reading the dictionary. And, and I'm also working in Hollywood and all that other bullshit, but I'm a big degen in the space and all that other stuff. So I, you know, I look at the root of what's underneath the, uh, the, the car hood and what kind of gas the person is using. So like in any I'm, I'm going to try to like simplify this as I get over this monologue. Um, you know, every great character that you've ever seen in a book or a movie that you love or you want to rewatch is always going after what they want and they rarely see what they need, hence human beings. And I think all the answers 
for the narrative is what I'm getting at. The narrative of what's driving you. You know, you have, everybody has a pain point. They have wounds and they chase what they want to heal those wounds, but they don't heal because they're chasing what they want, not what they need. Right. So I think this identity and you're talking about rugs and this, like, like, forget that that's not an identity. That's like, that, that's, that, that's, that's just like lack talk. You know what I mean? To me, so, sorry if I'm talking like I'm standing on a, I'm about to rally a, a bunch of troops to war. Um, it's just the way that I talk. So, um, um, I don't, I don't mean to sound aggressive. Um, and I, I think you, you, you have a narrative. Maybe you don't know what that is. That is what's driving you. That everything else is noise. Don't adapt, I would say, to what anybody else is doing or copying them. You see a lot of this with engagement and you see it a lot with the impression hunt. And I get it. Make your money. Like, I'm not trying to say don't make your money. Like, sure, would I like some of that? That'd be great. But I definitely don't want to copy people. And I'm not saying copy pasta for the, for the joke of culture. I'm talking about literally you are just riding on the coattails, not living your truth, not living your own thing, carving out a niche and being as loud as fuck because anything loud, and I don't mean annoyingly loud, like maybe the way I'm talking right now, but I'm talking about it, it, in Hollywood, when you read, when a script gets passed around, it usually gets passed around because the studios go, holy shit, have you read this? There's no way we're making this, but they pass it around because it is stuck out amongst you know the ranks. It's literally fire. And it's undeniable. And that becomes a calling card where they go, listen, we're not going to make this movie, young sir or young ma'am, but we want, we're making a movie and we like what you did. Can you do that for us? Right. I, I wouldn't adapt, like adapt in your own life and grow. I get it. But if, if you put out some art, let's say, or some writing and, and you're getting a lot of like, oh, this and that, and then you adapt, well, then you're fair weather and you don't want to do that. There, there's, there's no legs with fair weather. At all, at all. So I don't know if I'm making sense, but Witters, I wanted to say, I know you're an artist and I, you know, we, we know each other and stuff like that, but uh, about hard, of course, I'm not a female and I totally understand, but I have a, you know, a daughter who's 22 years old that lives next door. I'm very, you know, I have a, I deal with a lot of, I love dealing with, and I love incorporating a lot of female artists into my community because, you know, things like this. You know, things like Patrick Amadon is doing with the 404 project. He is totally dismantling the old hierarchical structures um, about token gating or gating to, um, to get clout, to be able to get seen in a gallery. Look up 404. I'm, t I'm telling you, Patrick Amadon is the alpha. Okay. So, um, so, and then, and then what we're doing over, uh, you know, on Bitcoin and, and some of my communities, I mean, it's in this space, it's, it's not about like the color and gender to me, usually it's about skill and resume. It's about like, not, you know, I, I have friends on discord that I have never seen or heard of in three years, but I, you know, like I've never seen or heard their voice or seen their face, but I love them because I'm seeing their value before that. And I get it. It doesn't, you know, answer the, 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 the oppression that, that women or a female artist have in this space. But when Patrick turned down Sotheby's the day before he was about to go live for glitch art, cause he's a pioneer in that he turned it down because they didn't highlight any of the pioneer female glitch artists in the world. And that fucking sucks. Shit like that in inclusion is, is going to like, that becomes popular. I don't mean popular and like trendy. It just becomes a thing of the past kind of thing. So driving towards that, I'm aiming towards that. So, um, I don't know if that helps anything, but cheers. Dude, thanks for coming up, Troy. I think that one of the main takeaways that I had from this was that you can't fake a reputation. 
So this goes back to maybe what Barbara was saying about like, which one of these people ought I be? Not that you were asking us this. I'm not trying to answer the question for you. I just mean to say that if we're going to ask that question, like, should I take this route or this route? I don't know that we actually have an option because I don't think you can fake a reputation. If you've set expectations that you then can't stand up to or can't replicate regularly, your reputation will reflect that and you will go back to being whatever it is you can regularly replicate, which is just who we end up being. And I would like eventually to go to Humpty. I'm going to stop at Aaron first, but I wanted to say briefly that a lot of this conversation has revolved around the uh, the perspective of the, the holder of the identity. And I think that what Humpty has come here to talk about is maybe that from the perspective of the observer or the data collection service that then provides the backing to a reputation. Um, but I'm not gonna put those words in his mouth, even though I kind of just did, I'll edit that out if that's not what's what's real. Aaron, what's up? Um, yeah, this conversation is really interesting. It's something I've been thinking a lot about this year, just identity, how do we capture that? in this like, you know, semi-anonymous decentralized coordination space. And I do think it's something that is a problem and is definitely holding back like coordination efforts and projects and DAOs from moving forward. I should preface, like I'm approaching this from like a tooling DAO coordination point of view. Um, so it's something that I see, it's super common, especially in big DAOs that, uh, you know, I'm involved in BDAO, Bankless DAO, and this is something that comes up all the time. They have a huge bounty board and there's people, pretty much anyone can apply, but it's like, well, how do I vet this person to know they're, you know, qualified and are going to do a great job? So um, I'm going to borrow, this is just an idea, um, but something that we use in a different DAO that I co-founded, Eli5DAO, our governance platform uses something called reputation decay. And basically what it means is you earn reputation for doing work or, um, you know, doing something like there's something that has been done where you earn reputation, but every, after a set amount of time, basically your reputation half-lifes and it goes away. So essentially what it's forcing people to do is to be consistent um, and, uh, you know, continue to contribute to maintain a reputation, you know, whether, you know, that's built on quote unquote, good reputation, but couldn't we use that same model for everything in, in with your digital footprint? So like, like the exact ex example you were talking about with like, you know, you went to jail, should that tarnish your reputation? When you were 20, should that tarnish your reputation for the rest of your life? I don't necessarily agree that that's true, but this could be a really interesting way to have those kinds of things, you know, quote unquote, fall off of your reputation footprint. Um, but I also think it's really important to have a way to memorialize or document those great achievements that you do have, no matter how old they are. So yeah, just an idea. Um, I think there's a few really interesting tooling projects in the space working on this exact problem. Um, and I'm really curious to see who, how it shakes out and who comes out on top. Because I do think whoever figures that out is going to really help push the space forward and open up a lot of new doors into ways that people can coordinate and work together online. Positive reinforcement is something that we've utilized much less than we maybe would benefit from as a society, despite all of the major psychological res research pointing to that punishment does very little to correct behavior and positive reinforcement works wonders for that or is like the most successful um, bit. It's strange that we don't do that more often. And I think blockchain can help us um, re reward at the speed of light and track 
at a much more properly filed pace, if that makes any sense at all. Also, I wanted to bring up that I've almost only ever seen you in real life or in the server with a chippy PFP. So I didn't actually know your PFP was you right now until you started talking. <laughs> it's like I knew that I'd, there's like a few errands I know in my life. And I was like, I wonder which errand this is. And then you started talking and all of a sudden your PFP took on a totally different life for me. And this is <laughs> because your reputation just now got attached to that PFP. I view it differently. And I just wanted to note that as a data point that's really interesting. It's, it's uncommon to see people in Twitter spaces that you know better in real life than you do on the internet. And this is one of those moments. So thanks for coming up and talking about that. Much appreciated. Uh, Humpty, welcome. So I, I raised my hand almost immediately after you made that comment because the same thought went through my mind um, in terms of the identities that we have in digital spaces and the reputation that we earn from that, from those identities, right? Or that we accrue onto those identities. And it's really interesting because, you know, I think it's it's very rare, uh, at least, you know, in, in IRL, right, in real life, where we can present ourselves so differently in different spaces. And I don't mean that we can't be different things to different people or groups of people. It's when we appear right, in digital spaces like here, where we're at today, we can appear almost in, in, in an infinite amount of ways. And I think the the way that PFPs, and I don't know if we defined this earlier, but profile pictures, um, you know, have evolved. And I think one of the things that to me for a very long time has been very exciting about NFT projects is this idea of being able to create identities that embody who we believe we are or who we would want to be and a good example is you know my pfp right it's a cartoony dude with a purple shirt and glasses and definitely he's got more hair than i do in real life but it is something that to me is representative of a digital self and i think that's really interesting and the issue though with appearing in this way is that for some time, I represented myself very differently in terms of my, you know, uh, digital persona, this PFP on Twitter specifically. And there was a time where I even changed my name and no one was engaging with my content. And I and I, I it kind of made it triggered me to remember that there are so many things people. Uh, so many reasons or so many data points, I guess why people choose to engage with others in digital spaces and how when you make those changes, it will sometimes disincentivize someone, no matter how great the content, to engage with it because they actually care about the person behind that identity or they care about the reputation that that identity has earned over time. And so when you make all of these changes to these digital identities, sometimes, and maybe I sh maybe many times, you have to start from from zero. And so what I had to do is I kept the new image, the new PFP, but I went back to representing myself as Humpty, right? Which is the identity that I have had everywhere in real life and in digital spaces forever. So it's really interesting to, that, that you made that comment because I think that that is a really interesting thing. One of the things that to me is still very exciting and probably underutilized if you want to talk about utility, 
uh, in NFT projects is the creation of, you know, these digital personas on which we can build a reputation. And in this case, you could consider it like a brand, right? You create a brand with each of these new identities and you build a reputation that then people wish to be associated with, want to be uh, connecting to and engaging with your content. Friend. When you were saying that um, you changed your PFP and your name, I remember that. And I remember seeing your new name and your new PFP come up. And then I had to look at your Twitter handle or like, I think I had to scroll through your, some of your past tweets to even figure out who you were again. I had a feeling it was you because I knew you had that doodle, but um, it's interesting. It's sort of like, you know, when a bad guy is trying to run from the cops and he like puts a blonde wig on and like the sunglasses with the big nose and mustache on them. And then nobody knows who he is. I mean, we all know who he is because we're watching the movie because we saw the transition. But like no one else in the world knows who that person is. It'd be like if I shaved my mustache and put a wig on and uh, I don't know, wore a suit and tie. Like just did all kinds of things I just never ever do, you know, because I don't have hair also. And I've always, I've had a mustache for like 25 years or something um, ish. I would not look like me to even my parents. And my reputation is still my reputation in their head. But now the file like their filing system is broken because they're flipping through all their files going, I know this guy, but like, I can't, I'm not the image that like is usually allows me to find that file is no longer connecting. So in this space, we can do that. We can really quickly pivot and change into something else or shed an old view of ourselves. But again, it's like setting your credit score to zero. Like it's not bad credit, but it's almost worse because it's no credit. Because as as everybody knows, any publicity is better than no publicity at all. And I don't, I don't really agree with that, but I know that it's a fact. Like I don't use those methods to um, to get attention, to just say bad stuff, to get people to, what's that called, engagement farming? I don't even know what it's called. That's how much I don't use it. So I, th I think it's it's fun to think of the ways that we identify, like there's a file in your head for the thing, or like you know how to open doors, but a Tesla door doesn't, it's not like any other door. It has a mechanism that doesn't make sense. So now you have to add that data into your how to open a door file because Tesla made the door look different than any door we've ever seen before. You don't have to put your thumb inside of any door in the entire world to open it except that one. So now every Humpty I've known has looked like Humpty and his name has been Humpty and now his name's not Humpty and he doesn't look like Humpty, but there's still a Humpty back there. And the fact that he changed it, it has actually changed my perception of Humpty's identity as an observer that he changed these things that really are kind of their own action in and of themselves. Not for the negative, it's just it's another data point along the way uh, where I'm the observer, he's the identity and time is still continuing. I think one of the things that um, this speaks to, and I could be wrong, but it's the fluidity of identity. Um, and I, that'd be, that's definitely, you know, as someone who's been, you know, actively working with technology, emergent technology for like over 10 years and in this space, I guess over 15 years and in this space particularly uh, for about seven years, it really is an interesting kind of evolution of the way that we consider identity. Um, prior to coming into Web3, I was working in the virtual reality space. And one of the things that, you know, at that time, um, I was really interested in was this idea of embodiment. When you put on your goggles, right, or whatever the technology as it evolves will become, and you are in these digital spaces, 
how close can we get to full embodiment? Meaning where you feel like you are in this virtual world. I think in the Web3 space, it's less immersive, right? But it's equally um, open to having a fluidity with your identity. It, this just reminds me of, um, and I don't even know if you've touched on this, so I apologize. I know I came in late, um, but Ready Player One, right? Where you put no, we on didn't say anything about this. Yeah, okay. go for it. Yeah, you put on your goggles. I mean, for anybody who hasn't read the book or seen the movie, I'm sorry to you know, spoil it. Spoiler alert. Um, you put on your goggles and you're immediately transported into this new world, right? Where you can become anything you want to become. I mean, everything from just a virtual copy of yourself to some sort of hu other human-like character up to like Godzilla, right? <laughs> you can become anything in these worlds. And I just, to me, that's fascinating how we could be moving in that direction where we have this like full immersive experience where we can identify as anything. You know, it doesn't have to be human, but it could be. It doesn't have to be your gender, right, that you were born with. You know, it could be anything in the world. And beyond that, using Web3, right, doing like adding other elements to this new character that you've built. Um, and at the same time, obviously, because there is some financial aspect to the way that Web3 works, allowing us to be able to like even monetize our reputation, right? Where there may be some new levels of this world that we can access um, that based on the reputation that we've earned through our activity, right? Whether it's a game uh, or something else, it's some educational program, based on our the way that we move forward in this space, we can actually unlock things. And those could be uh, rewarded financially or non-financially. To me, all of these things are super exciting. And of course, why I'm here in the first place, because I think that there is just so much to unpack here, so much that we've yet to um, really tap into, but the technology is there, right? So uh, just to go back to my original point, there's this idea of us being able to have these fluid identities that we can interchange at any moment, but with each one to the point that you made just moments ago, it depends where you want to start in the game. Do you want to start with the reputation of 100? Or do you want to start with the reputation of zero or one that's somewhere in between? And it's your choice, right? But at the end of the day, each reputation is going to present you and give you access to different things in different ways. From the early days of us talking about reputation on the spaces that I'm presuming we're both going to be on again in two and a half hours today. Um, we we talked a lot about how it is, mm, I guess, incentivizing people to be truly them in the long term is the goal. The goal is to be able to stay, safely store data and show everyone that it is best to be them and not try to scam people because a zero is worse than any other number after it. The concept of poor reputation is just... I don't really know where it fits into this. This has always been the really confusing part to me. Like if we're going to shoot for a utopia and utopia is probably impossible because if everything's great, nothing's great. So like we have, we need pain in order for pleasure to exist. Right. But is bad reputation then just a, an automatic shedding of your current reputation? If you decide, like 
in this future where there is a um, an altruistic robot that controls all of our the data that makes us who we are, right? Like we we fast forward to this moment, and it's you know that sounds great to some and probably awful to others. I don't know how I feel about it, um, but there's a robot that contains all that data, and every time you launch a rug token, your data is reset to zero. And now not only does no one trust you, but nobody even knows who you are in the digital space, right? So like you don't have friends anymore because no one knows that you exist because you've, it's just been rugged out from underneath you. That's an interesting concept. And I think we started exploring this in gating discord servers and um, telegram channels, not to decisions, but to previous actions. Like instead of me buying a D God to get into the D God server, I have to hold a certain number of tokens or a certain set of PFPs for over an extended period of time. So it requires time now to get in. It requires that I've done something because like I can't just buy in. So think about this for a second. Um, Troy, you have a PFP that a lot of people want and they want to get into that server and a few people can just buy it and get in. Um, most people can't. But is that the best way to add a super high amount of value to something? Should you have to hold it for six months? Should you have to hold it and two other things for two years? And would that show more about the people who really want to be there than just simply owning something, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I mean, per personally speaking, like I literally didn't buy that for the culture uh, of it. I, I did it to create animation and content with it, divorced from that project, you know, oh, yeah, I wasn't I'm not, calling you out on anything. No, 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 of course. I, and I, but I, I also want, I, I know I just wanted to speak uh, for my, myself there and, and say that, but I, I'd say a lot of people probably don't want that anymore. And that, that energy has sort of been lost and, and dissipated because that project isn't front facing, but, uh, you know, the apes aren't front facing and they're more, you know, like an event company and, and gaming company. And, and now they're called a community company and stuff like that. But, um, yes, I know what you mean. Uh, I, I don't flip around the, the, the JPEG, uh, a lot, um, because, um, you know, building stuff like that, but I totally get your point. Um, you know, I, I think you can change if you want to, if, if you identify with your PFP though, then stick with that, you know? Uh, and if you don't, then you're not about that. You're just about creating the narrative that is you, you know, I don't think the PFP, if you're going to use the PFP as a narrative, make sure that your narrative is tied to that in some way. Um, but if it's, if it's, if it's changing picture, cause you're, you're rocking with this project, now or you're a milady now and you were i don't know in meme land or whatever you, or you were in solana or you were a ute or a d god um as long as your narrative doesn't change uh or you're building on it the strength of that um um you know it's, it's like yeah that, that, that's my point with that i actually just realized that what i said was really um oh what is the word for it the low perspective i i was like is <laughs> I use the word best. I use the qualifier for something that everyone has different standards for. And that's kind of stupid. That's like heavily against what I like to do. Nothing is inherently good or bad. It's based on the standards of the observer in that moment, right? So if I'm the observer and my standards are that I want a Discord server that has all of the longest standing, highest contributing, most thoughtful, most progressive, most positive people, I would accrue data points that would then allow only those people into that server in order to facilitate what I would consider to be the best conversations. Me asking if it's the best way to set up a server to get a bunch of people to buy the same picture, that's stupid because it's not my server and it's not my picture. You know, it's, it requires an observer and separate standards and it's fully subjective. So I just wanted to point out that um, 
I guess maybe I should start. I tried to start that server a while back because I thought maybe this was about a year ago. Humpty backed me up on this. I was trying to work with Orange Protocol to gate a server based on the duration of hold of a specific set of maybe 150 to 200 cross-chain projects. So if you had held any one of the list of these 200 or 300 um, categories of NFT, you, which by the way, yes, I said NFT, finally. I think Humpty did it first this episode, though, not that I'm keeping track. Um, if you held any one of these two or 300 projects of NFT for over a specific duration of time, you would be allowed access into this server, into a Discord chat. Because I used to dislike that there were like Solana groups and ETH groups and uh, Cardano groups and Tezos groups. And all of these groups were not only separate within their ecosystem, but the ecosystems were separate. And that, so from my subjective, my my standpoint, I really wanted to be able to tap into the brain power of all of the people who cared the most from all of those ecosystems instead of having them potentially never meet in it under any circumstances because like, you know, Solana people are Solana people. They're not going to buy a Tissot's NFT and go be buds with everybody there. Um, Humpty, go for it. <laughs> okay, first of all, I'll have to go back to the recording, but I think I've been saying PFP, so... Let the record show. I think you said Until, NFT one time. Did but, I? You know, okay. Again, I'll go back to it. <laughs> I'm not keeping track. Don't worry about Anyways, it. Anyways, um, I was raising my hand because we were talking about, you know, you were kind of pointing out to this to this idea of, you know, using these images, these these PFPs, these project images, right, uh, or, or on which people create identities, um, as a way to gate these you know other kind of uh, community platforms like discord for instance or on discord and you know this this is something and i see aaron mentioned earlier that they're with bankless dow this is something that i know i personally try to uh, test out um you know with that community using reputation credentials as a way to add value to people or, or or provide some sort of you know community access and 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 you know kind of a reputation building as well to people who have earned their way in to the project who may not be able to hold the token of that project right because that that, that goes back to how are we onboarding people into this ecosystem are we expecting everyone to put money up front to become a member of a or of a group, organization, community, whatever you want to call it. And that's okay because, you know, in the real world, there are memberships that, you know, membership-based communities that you need to put money up front to be a member of. That's that's fine. Um, but if we want to move away from that, how can we enable people to become a part of that community? And I think one of the things that Bankless Dow did really well early on was allowing people to easily earn their way in, right? So CryptoSapiens, which, you know, is one of the hosts of these podcasts um, or producers of this podcast, um, they're, for all intents and purposes, a sub-DAO, right, of Bankless DAO. It was born from the community there. Uh, many of the core contributors come from Bankless DAO. Many of the people who still produce and edit and, and market our content our bankless DAO members but what do we do we basically use the token that bankless DAO provides us and then we use those funds in that token to incentivize our community so 
we basically hold no tokens. We just are another channel by which people can earn this token. Now, when people do earn this token, they can become a full member of the DAO, right? Now, a sub DAO like ours doesn't have any preconditions in terms of membership, like the way that Bankless DAO would. But hey, through contributing here, you can earn that. But now that you've earned it, the expectation is you have to hold those tokens in perpetuity, at least a set number of tokens in perpetuity for you to remain a member of that community. The problem then is someone who needs to go and pay their rent, and let's hope that whatever incentives they're getting are sufficient at least for them to earn and pay things in real life, now cannot. Now they're prevented from being able to you know, live comfortably in their lives through earning, uh, doing blockchain work. So the idea, just to go back to this reputation piece, is to allow anyone based on the earning over time to then have credentials issued to them so that they can go ahead and pay for what they need with what they've earned in crypto, but still maintain a level of membership within the community that's represented through some reputation credential. And I'm not saying the word, so because we're not supposed to say that word, but many times it's issued through that permit. Say it. What is, what is it issued through? <laughs> it, it becomes a reputation NFT. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Um, it's always someone has to say it first because the show is not about NFTs, but it involves a lot of NFTs. So like it's not, you know, you're not a pariah if you say it. Currency comes in a lot of different ways um, or in a lot of different forms. And sometimes that currency is fiat currency. Sometimes that currency is time or energy or contribution of some sort. And in other ways, that currency is a soulbound token that is a non-saleable reward for doing something that I think eliminates that problem you were talking about. Although it has plenty of other problems, like what if they lose the wallet or the wallet's not connected to the right place? And you know, can you lose your permanent reputation with something by just losing the seed phrase to something? And this goes back to episode one or episode two, blockchain and ownership. The most difficult parts of the problems that we're trying to solve are the ones that involve the first steps. Everything else after that feels like a detail that we can use almost any system in the meantime and then work out over the course of time. It'll be, it'll be ever evolving. We like to think of history as this thing that's done now that we're here. Like we look at maps in grade school and we see these things like, this is what the world used to be like. And now finally we've made it here. And this is what it was always supposed to be. And we're done now. That's never the case though, because in a hundred years, we're going to look back at this map and go, oh my God, the United States wasn't owned by Japan. That's crazy. What was it like back then? You know, like what, what happened before we were some other nation because borders change and time changes, right? So we're not done. We're a part of the process. The first thing that seems to need to happen is finding methods of recovery for wallets and getting rid of the seed phrase barrier and finding ways of ensuring that, whether it's through actual literal insurance and like, you know, third parties that do that, whether those third parties are algorithms or not, um, finding ways of making sure that people don't lose things permanently, that they've worked really hard to get, whatever those things are. And in this case, the way that Humpty was talking, it was soulbound tokens as a reward to participate in something or for participating in something. Aaron. Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, your, I love the way you described, you know, the different types of currencies we use to 
um, recognize reputation. Um, and what, you know, to, to go off of what Humpty was saying, um, I haven't seen, for the most part, in my experience at least, I've seen a lot of DAOs or projects choose the one single lane to recognize that so far. So, you know, whether it's holding a token or in Eli5's cases, the, you know, reputation token or whatever it is, or an NFT, excuse me. (laughs) Um, But I've yet to see a project or a group do this where they're able to adopt multiple currencies for this. Um, Currencies meaning, you know, different ways of recognition. And I would love, I think, you know, in order for this to be a really well-rounded way to represent someone's digital footprint in the future, we have to figure out a way to include multiple avenues. So yeah, just really interesting thoughts, lots to think about. Appreciate you holding this space and definitely looking forward to jumping in on the next one. Thanks so much. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate that. And I, I think that's a, a strong and valid point. But it seems as though everybody who uses any currency almost only uses that currency. Like in the like so far historically, groups of people, large or small, sort of agree on one currency and they all use that thing. Like the US dollar in the United States or the euro in, you know, the European Union or the pound in Britain. And we can all convert because there are conversion rates that are held up against something. I'm not sure what. I guess it's probably up against the U.S. dollar at this point. We can convert from currency to currency. But if you walk around the United States with the Canadian dollar, it's kind of difficult to get anything done with it because most people will be like, I don't know what the rate is. You got to go do this somewhere else. So maybe the it would be a difficult <sighs> two things. It might be easier to accept many forms of digital currency in the future because of all these algorithmically um, structured backbones, like like I know Uniswap is like its own algorithmic DeFi backbone. It it enables you to interact with almost anything to almost anything else without having to go to a bank, right? There's no third party. So if in the case of DAO rewards or reputation rewards or long-term rewards for some positive behavior, we may be able to actually transact with these things in real time and have. Um, Soulbound tokens versus the bank token versus uh, whatever other time rewards you get for doing something on some other platform actually be exchangeable and usable across platforms. I mean, I think that would be kind of an ideal situation. And I really like that this conversation went from what we were talking about two episodes ago with identity and PFPs, moving on to how the observer in the Twitter metaverse, uh, Discord, whatever we call Web3, how people... Uh, I guess, perceive one another over the course of long stretches of time and how half of that is controlled by the person holding the identity and the other half is honestly controlled by mostly outside factors, whether it's the, um, I guess, the, the perception of the PFP group that you wear or the later perception of that same PFP group or whoever takes it over or whoever else buys that PFP and then what you do and how you feel about it versus what you do and how other people feel about it and what their standards are for behavior. I think we have a really long way to go. And one of the foundational elements that we're missing is what is good behavior. So to make a digital, <laughs> okay, one final clarification. To make one digital identity does not mean to make someone good or bad or to label them as such. It means to provide all the data that they would deem necessary for an outside observer to perceive them properly, regardless of the standards. 
like I said, if I'm a person who is pro peeing on trees in the woods, I don't care that the ranger doesn't like that data, but I want it on my record. I want to be known as the guy who pees on trees because there's someone else who agrees with me and likes people who pee on trees. And I want that person to favor my reputation. So maybe we can wrap this up with the idea that whatever reputation data we are collecting about ourselves and displaying to other people is not good or bad. It's us. And it's fully up to the observer over the course of whatever swath of time they have available to decide whether or not that's favorable to them and interact accordingly. If that's all for the day, and I think it is, I'm Donnie Clutterbuck. I'm the host. This here has been another episode of Don't Say NFT. This was episode five about reputation. Thank you so much to Crypto Sapiens for helping produce this and Bankless Dow for the ongoing support. And thanks for everybody who got up today to talk about this. I think it's been a pretty enlightening conversation. This has been another episode of Don't Say NFT, the show where we usually don't say NFT. Thanks again to Crypto Sapiens, Bankless Dow. Have a great day, everybody.